Good evening, everyone. Nice to have you here for our next part of our missions weekend. And God bless you as you're here. Uh, In your red books, please. Number 47, uh, Jesus, name above all names. 47, Jesus, name above all names. We'll sing it through twice. Thank you, very much. Let's turn to uh, number 108 in the Red Book, please. His name is His name is wonderful, isn't it? Jesus, God saves. How wonderful. This evening, we're going to have uh, Steve be presenting to you, but before we do that, we want to have another of our interviews. 
This is with Ramez and Rebecca Atala. They're in Cairo, Egypt, and they have a unique ministry there, and they're going to present that to us at this time. Hello, Ramez and Rebecca. It's so wonderful to see you and to have you uh, talking to us. We've seen you in pictures many times at the chapel, but uh, today we're able to see you and uh, have you talk with us. Uh, just so so delightful to, to meet you both and looking forward to our time. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, we thank you for Ramez and for Rebecca Atala. We just ask your blessing upon them. Thank you for the ministry that they've had and look forward to learning much more about it today. And we commit this to you and thank you for all of the missionaries that are participating in our special missions weekend conference. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, Rebecca and Ramez, I'm going to share the screen and give just a geographical orientation as far as where you're at. So here we go. Now, this is the continent of Africa, and I wanted to be sure for Sam Akinade that we pointed out Nigeria. Sam's a brother here with his family, and for Iwano Kamwana, Zambia, didn't want to have us touch Africa, but it not be seen by the home countries of those where we're going today is to the northeast corner of Africa and the great city of Cairo. And looking forward to hearing from Rebecca and Ramez about their ministry there. So, Ramez, if you would uh, just share with us and let us know about the ministry you have with the uh, the bookstore, the Egyptian Bible Society, <laughs> Arabic Publishing, and we'll look forward to hearing what you have to say. God bless you. Thank you. Maybe a very brief introduction by both of us. I came to the Noble Order as a foreign student in Montreal for the Ministry of uh, Ebenezer Gospel Chapel. And at university, I met Rebecca, who was an MK from Haiti. And the family had moved to Montreal to plant church, French churches there. And then in 1980, we moved to Egypt. So what we're sharing with you will be from 1980 onward. I first worked with students, and in 1990, I took over the Bible Society of Egypt. It was a small organization, and over the last 30 years, the Lord has done miracles, basically through wonderful people who joined us. We grew from three small, uh, dingy bookshops to a chain of 19 very modern bookshops world uh, across the nation, and from about 17 staff to 220 staff now. And uh, God has opened the door in all the churches of Egypt, 15 million non-Christians in name in Egypt, and um, we are able to go into any church and um, have a book table, share the scriptures, and uh, these churches also, many of them support us financially. So our greatest need at this time is a big project we have of providing one million Bibles to homes of nominal Christians who may not have a Bible. And the pastors and the Coptic Orthodox priests go to the home, uh, share the Bible, give them a study guide, and come back and check if they as a family have been studying God's Word. We've distributed about 300,000 till now, and we still have 700,000 to go. So that's our great need at present at the Bible Society. And as these Christians get revived, they will be effective witnesses to their Muslim neighbors. They're 15% of probably anywhere they are, so they're a minority, but they're there, and they're the best missionaries we have. Oh, absolutely wonderful. And the 
the challenge you have is, uh, is it in distribution of the Bibles? Is that what you're talking about as far as the 300,000 that you've already distributed and then the 700,000 to go? Um, we had a bit of a hiccup during uh, COVID, as you can imagine. Our main problem is the finances also. Um, the, is the distribution of the Bible. The distribution of the Bible, we have the resources to distribute. We don't have all the resources we need to, to subsidize what the churches pay only one quarter of the real cost, and we have to subsidize three quarters. Of this that one million. Of this one This one million. You know, God bless you. It's so thrilling to hear about the shops going from a small number 30 years ago and now to 19, did you say? 19 yes. shops. Oh, my, how wonderful. And the wonderful thing is that we are the only place in a town or in a city where Christians from all denominations feel this is theirs. So in, uh, un, un, not purposefully, but effectively, they provide a unity among the Christians. They have the same Bible. We have 700 Bible products. All Christians in Egypt use them. So it's provided a unity among the churches just simply because they use the same material from the same source. Oh, absolutely wonderful. We thank the Lord. Rebecca, you have just uh, some remarkable ministries. We've really enjoyed hearing about them and look forward to having you share with us in more detail about the ministries today. So, Rebecca, would you please tell us about the ministries that you have? Yes, I'm involved in three ministries. Tonight I'm going to just focus on the one that you all know the best and help to support the Center of Love for Special Needs. But I am also involved with Sudanese refugees in two other ministries with Sudanese refugees. Uh, Center of Love for Special Needs, we thought that the best thing is to sh- just to show you very quickly a PowerPoint that we did of the Mukatam Garbage Village, which is where the Center of Love is. And it's from 1980 when I first started working there until recently. So, but it'll go fast. Don't worry. I won't talk. I'll just go through the pictures and all. That'll be fine. Thank you. Okay. Just go. But explain something. They don't know. As you can see, the gospel coming to the garbage village was what made the very, very rapid growth uh, in the garbage village, like I'll be showing you some pictures now of what the garbage looks like, looked like after the gospel came, after the church was built, after the people's lives were changed. Um, but really it was the gospel coming that did the trick. And it wasn't me who brought the gospel. It was a Coptic Orthodox priest who brought the gospel to the garbage village seven years before I even came. Now have you started sharing the pictures already on the PowerPoint? Oh, yes. Yes. You we haven't been, been seeing Okay, I'll start again because we were, she had started. Can you put on the PowerPoint now? You were telling us, Rebecca, the contrast between before and after. Yeah, that's what here I had gotten, I think, to this point. Yeah. So what I was saying, did you hear what I said? Yes. Then? Yes. About the gospel was brought by a Coptic Orthodox priest. Yes. And it was really the gospel that started the changes in the garbage village. Yes. Yeah, did you hear yes. all that? We, yes, okay. we did. Good. So we'll go on. And this is the first church that was built in the garbage village. And it was the only building that was there when I came. Hmm. 
but it was built. And just to show you, just to go way ahead in the story, to show you what the garbage village looks like now, you'll get an idea of amazing changes. Well, of course, it's been, I've been there 40 years, but but, um, the, the circle there shows the, the church, but are now all surrounded by big buildings. Amazing. Yeah. And so to go back to the story, and this is what happened when, um, like, it went from garbage uh, donkey-ridden carts, driven carts, to big trucks. Yes. Now, I think for some reason we've switched right away to the cave churches. And these are pictures of the cave churches. I'm going to go through them very quickly because you can get them on Google. Just just say, just put in the Cairo um, cave churches and you'll get pictures. But this is Father Simon who brought the gospel to the garbage village like 50-some years ago. And um, he's now an old man, as you can see. The Lord has used him so wonderfully there. And this is one of the cave churches that can seat 20,000 people. It's oh. obviously the biggest. And it's the, it is now the biggest church in the Middle East. Uh-huh. And this was just an all-night prayer meeting we had um, on 11-11-11. Then there's the Center of Love for Special Needs. And this is, so now we're going ahead quite a bit. But because we actually only opened the center of love about 15 years ago. And even in this picture, you don't see it completely finished. But now it is completely finished, praise the Lord. And I'll just show you some pictures and some of the classes that we have. We have classes for vocational training. We have academic classes. Uh, we have classes for, well, of course, now we have physical therapy, speech therapy. It's for special needs, like I already said. And, um, keep going, Ramos. And we have, yeah, we get many, uh-huh. the moms that come to us are both Muslim and Christian. They're mostly Christian because the garbage village is mostly Christian. But we're having opportunities to reach out to a lot of Muslim families who live in the area around the garbage village. And, um, this is one of them. And they come because they very much want some services for their kids. There's no other services for handicapped, challenged children and teenagers and young adults in the whole enormous area around the garbage village, as well as, of course, it's the only one in the garbage village. Keep going. These are some of the moms that have come to some of our, um, our, um, well, our mom's days, let's say. Yeah. And then this is just a picture of a few of the kids at the end. Um, at the end of the PowerPoint, I mean. Um, I think maybe we should go back to me now. Yeah. Let's okay. take away that, okay. and I'll just explain to you a little bit more. I think we have just a few more minutes. Um, I, I want to no, no longer share, so Correct. stop sharing. Oh, share. Have I stopped sharing? Yeah, yeah there we go. Yep. Well, we now serve at the Center of Love. 85 uh, children who come every day, five days a week. And then another, um, I think it's I think it's, uh, 19 children who come just to get physical therapy, speech therapy, early childhood development um, and with their moms. And they stay. And those are especially the moms that I referred to in PowerPoint, the Muslim moms that come to us also. Yes. Uh, so it's become a big center, praise the Lord. And it's a very nice center. And to me, it's a God thing that God, when he helped us to build the center, 
four children who were handicapped, challenged, uh, looked down upon because that is the way it was in the garbage village. They were very much looked down upon. He helped us to build the nicest center, the nicest building there is in the whole garbage village. You you allude to the garbage village. What's what's the tell us how the garbage village got started? That is, it's just the refuse from Cairo and it's thrown out there, and people then take the materials from the garbage to survive. Is that correct? Not exactly, no. Uh, in in the case of Cairo, it's a private system run by the people who live in the different garbage villages. There's seven of them actually in Cairo, but this is the biggest one. And they go to people's homes every day and collect their garbage. And they take it back to their garbage villages to recycle it. And they're given a small fee by each apartment that they collect from. But it's really a small fee. What helps them to make their living is the recycling of the garbage. And they do a great job of it. Uh huh. And has the plan always been for the garbage village to... Uh, develop the way it has over these years? Was that always a part of the plan? No, there was no plan. <laughs> there was no plan. Uh-huh. It just happened. Just happened. It just happened. And the government tried to do um, garbage collection like you have in Canada and so on, and they completely failed. So they had to give in and go back to the garbage collectors. I see. Mike, I, I'm just, I'm overwhelmed by the way in which the Lord has worked in that area from your before pictures and now the present pictures. Uh, we thank the Lord and we thank the Lord for your part in that, uh, the two of you. Were either of you trained in the areas that you're uh, working in now? Uh, that is, uh, Ramez, were you trained in publishing and uh, Bible distribution? And Rebecca, were you trained in uh, therapy and that kind of thing? Neither of us were trained for that. I'm a social worker. We went to seminary to get some Bible background before I came. Um, but I learned publishing on the job. And, uh, but you're also a student record. I, my main. For many years. Yes, yes. For many years, Robin. Yes. I was involved in setting up a French student work of Intervasti in uh, Quebec. University in, Christian Fellowship. Intervasti Christian Fellowship in the 70s. Uh-huh. Uh, and in Egypt. And the first 10 years was also with students. But the only thing that related very closely to Bible society is most of my work with students was helping getting them into the scriptures, inducted Bible study for 20 years. And uh, I realized that, you know, without good Bible resources, the church is going to remain weak. So that was my vision, to empower Bible society to provide the best kind of resources possible for people to have access to the scriptures, to enjoy the scriptures, children and adults, um, and now... After I left, I've been I've been a consultant for the last two years. They've moved very strongly into social media. So we're very, very active in social media, which then impacts the world. Yes, yes. No, I wasn't trained in anything I do. Uh, I'm a medical social worker. So in a sense, I've been able to help out in the garbage village with <clears throat> some medical things, like teaching moms about some of elementary medical needs that they didn't know about for their children. But basically, no, and I'm, I've never had an administrative position like I do now also, um, try helping to head up the center of love. But God teaches us as we go along, you know. Amen. If, if, if he wants us to be in that ministry, he teaches us. Certainly does. 
Ramez and Rebecca, uh, let me ask you just uh, for you to share any particular needs that you would have right now that we could be praying for. You'd, you've mentioned about the distribution of the 700000 and financial needs. Other needs, uh, and also relating to the center of love, please let us know about those needs as well. Yeah, we always, as as is the case in most of Africa, probably all of Africa, the war has affected us very badly, the Ukrainian-Russian uh, war. And it's uh, our, our, um, oh, our um, I'm sorry, I'm just remembering the Arabic word, 31% are... Exchanging, what? Anyway, the word just went for me. What's, By the way, I don't look it, but I'm 76, and sometimes I'm <laughs> feeling it. Anyway, our our income, our food costs so much more, and all of our lives cost so much more in Egypt now than just a year ago. Yes. So as a result, we really have to raise our staff salaries more at the center of love. And we've tried to do that in the last couple of months uh, because they are paying, they're all from the garbage village themselves, but they're paying so much more for things, especially food, than they were. So our financial needs have definitely become greater, of course. The same belief that in Egypt, unfortunately, imports a lot of stuff with a larger importer of wheat and so on, and you import it in dollars, and our dollar, the, the, the dollar has doubled in cost compared to the Egyptian currency in last year. So everything costs at least double. It's a, it's very challenging for you. We'll certainly be praying about that. Ramez, anything uh, as far as the uh, Bible Society is concerned? Uh, anything that uh, that you've other than you've mentioned about the distribution of the? Or maybe since you are a church that knows us for a long time, um, our greatest challenge. Our son-in-law died at, uh, last year. And uh, our daughter and her two grandchildren live above us. And our greatest challenge as a couple is knowing how to mentor and um, help our grandchildren. So Alex and Natasha, who live above us, they're our greatest burden as a couple and family, um, our greatest concern now. And they're teenagers. They're 14 and 16. Uh Well, God bless you as you help out with your daughter in connection with that. Yeah, may the Lord bless you. you. You're all living in the same building, you say. Yep, they're right above us. Praise the Lord. In a big apartment building we all live. They live right above us. We sure will be in prayer for these things, Rebecca and Ramez. It's Ramez when we say it here. We don't put the emphasis on the right syllable. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) We'll try to in Quebec they always called me Ramez. In French Quebec. And Ramez in English, Quebec, so. All right. We'll, we'll call you Ramez as much as possible. God bless you both. Thanks for your time so very much. And after we finish this, there'll be a time of prayer specifically for you that we'll have at our Missionary Weekend Conference. Thank today. you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. That means so much to us. That's what we need the most, and we really mean that. Yes. Prayer is what we need the most. Absolutely. God bless you both. I would like us to have uh, a time of prayer here for the Atalas. I would say that the theme of financial needs has been communicated to our business meeting, to our deacons. They're aware of it, and they're seeking to accommodate 
needs of missionaries that we have. It's something that I'm so glad Ramez, Ramez and Rebecca revealed to all of us, and that is the financial needs. They have changed. And so let's take that to the Lord and to heart ourselves as we're here seeking to support the missionaries as far as our own priorities of our finances and of what the Lord would be having us do in connection with that. I'd like uh, three folks to please uh, pray for the Atalas, and then I'll close in prayer. And let's make the prayers uh, pointed and uh, quick, please. Thank you. Father, we thank you for this couple and their desire to serve you there in Egypt. And Lord, we would ask that you would, again, provide for their needs, Lord, and for the needs of their extended family as well. And Father, we too are just grateful that you can use the needs of special children, Lord, to, to minister in your name. And so, Father, thank you for that opportunity that they have there to do just that. And then for the Bibles, the need for 700,000 more Bibles to be distributed, Lord. What a, what a goal, Lord. What an opportunity for them to serve you in this way. So we would ask, Lord, that you would meet that need. And, and that's only the way that you can, Lord. And we would ask, Lord, that we would just be quick to give you the praise um, for how you're going to do that. Thank you for this couple and for their love for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you that we can see the fruit of somebody's labor there in that garbage village 50 years ago, and we can see that it has changed lives, changed families in uh, in more ways than just the physical ones. It, the spiritual changes too. We thank you, Father, for that and showing us this to us here in the Western world, Father, to see the effectiveness of the ministry going on there. Father, there are a lot of needs, there are a lot of challenges, uh, particularly financial ones that are there. We pray, Father, for for that. We pray, Father, for an outpouring of financial resources there for these folks over there. Father, we know that in Egypt over the last couple of years there's been attacks against churches, particularly, and we pray, Father, for the Christians over there to stay strong, uh, although they are a minority, we pray, Father, that they would be effective in communicating your love uh, uh, to others all around us, even to their you know, uh, Muslim neighbors. We pray, Father, for us. We ask, Father, for your blessing on this couple, and they'll work there. And, it, and Father, help them to mount the challenges uh, that are there, not see it as barriers, but as opportunities uh, before you. We pray, Father, for that. Father, we would just continue and thank the work the Atalas are doing in, in Egypt. We thank you, Father, the story of redemption from <coughs> dump to uh, uh, to something special, Lord. And we just see the the parallel with the life of a believer, Lord, that we have have. Uh, Lives that seem full of garbage and a lot of things that uh, are frankly worthless, Lord, until you come in and you begin to work in our lives, Lord, and you can redeem and restore and, and, and take the things that were seemingly once worthless and now make them into uh, special jewels for yourself. And so 
We would ask you, dear God, to continue to work in that area. We think of the uh, opportunities to minister and, uh, of all places, uh, a cave that can see 50,000 people, Lord. And uh, it's, it's miraculous, Lord, that, uh, that that is there. But we would ask you, dear God, to go ahead and use it. Use it for your purposes to share the gospel. Uh, that, that those that uh, are outside of the uh, the grace and the glory that we can have in a relationship with you, dear God, would uh, come to know your Son as personal Savior. We thank you, Lord, for their opportunities there for uh, continued distribution of the books uh, or the of the Bibles uh, that are uh, from the bookstores there, Lord. Just to ask you, Lord, that uh, you would work out the logistical details of um, distribution, and Lord, that you would help them uh, to get into the hands of those that uh, that need them, people that, uh, Lord, are marginal Christians and benefit from having your word in their hands, Lord, where they can look and see and read what, uh, what uh, has been recorded for, for our purpose, Lord, that we can have the word of God in our hands and in our laps as we sit and we connect with other believers. Just ask you, dear God, to, uh, to continue to work in that ministry and uh, for all the work there too, Lord, for the, uh, the kids with the special needs. We uh, thank you, Lord, that uh, it's a place where Christians and Muslims can come together and hopefully, Lord, that's a place too where uh, the love of Christ is shown and that, uh, that these children, Lord, would benefit greatly from the uh, the ministering that's uh, being given to them and the opportunity, Lord, uh, for those that serve them to uh, to serve others in your Lord. So we thank you for that. We just would ask you to continue in blessing our time together this evening and, uh, as we hear more of the ministry uh, that's going on in different parts of the world, Lord. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Father, the Remezes, uh, they, the Atalas asked us for prayer, but that's the most important thing. It is the mystery of prayer, dear God. How is it that we being here appealing to you for help for them there in Egypt can result in something magnificent? Dear Lord, it's not us. It's you. It's you who has the unfathomable resources to pour your blessing out upon that nation and that city. So we thank you for that. Do help them in connection with their grandchildren, Lord, uh, their daughter who's widowed, and we just ask your care for them now and commit the Lord's Day to uh, you for their uh, ministry tomorrow and for the uh, for the Marcy's in Japan, and we'll hear from the Matthews here in the next meeting. So, Lord, we just commit these folks to you and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Dr. Steve Hawthorne is going to share with us now. I've known Steve for over 50 years. Heather and I babysat Steve and his siblings there in Wheaton, Illinois. I've known this couple for over 30 years. Praise God for Mary coming into Steve's life and blessing them with children. Steve's been a medical doctor that served in Bolivia in the small village of Yawisla for a number of years and in recent years in the large city, the large mining city of Potosi in Bolivia. Steve, God bless you as you share with us tonight. Thank you very much, Phil. Greetings, everyone. As I heard at our church last Sunday, our leader said, we're gathered here in this place to make Jesus even more famous than he already is. I want to uh, 
go back to Tim's presentation last night. I really enjoyed that. And as I was listening to it and thinking about what I wanted to say, I thought, um, <clears throat> I want to draw out some, some principles of, of what we heard in his presentation and then fit those same principles into what we did in Bolivia. So, um, assuming that those here today were here last night, tell me, tell me one of the ministries you heard about last night from Zambia. Got one? Anyone? Children. Children's work, School. specifically? Camp. Yeah, camps. Uh, reaching out to small villages. What else? The Yala yeah, Village for the Elderly. A Christian school. Boarding school. Kayomba, the hospital in Loloma. Radio ministry. So all those things are are the what of what he does, right? What do you do? Well, we help run the the boarding school and and these different things that you were great at at remembering. And now I want you to think that was those were the specifics. Those were easy to to pick out. Um, I actually had brought along this February copy of CMML where he had described those things, knowing he was going to be here, I wanted to ask him some more about some of those, and now I had a lot of my questions answered. But now think think of something else. Think of how he was involved in those ministries. For instance, to give you a clue, um, did you see any pictures of him by himself in front of any of those ministries? No. How, how how did you see him? How did he show up? Always in teams, right? That was one thing I, I noticed. What else? Anything else about the how he did what he did? Very much. He was mentoring and discipling Zambian Christian believers. And the last thing I noticed was that he was doing it in their heart language. So they do speak English in Zambia, and they may also have some trade languages, but he was doing it in the, in the local language. So those were how things that, that came through that were important. I, I love the, the Kayomba boarding school. It was built by the Chinese. The salaries are paid for by the government, but it's run by the church administrative board. That, those are classic partnerships that, uh, are really the model, I think, going forward here. All right, so who was the audience? Who who was he who was he focusing on? What was the group he was hoping to see changes in? The local church? But in what area, like to be more specific? He gave a real clear thing, so Loloma was sort of the the center and he mentioned a radius of two hours out from that. So rural Zambians in the northwest part of the country within two hours of Loloma. That was, the, that was his audience. But think of the video that we saw first from Japan of Tim Marcy. What was his audience? Anybody remember? He mentioned two groups. <laughs> 
So he has two handicapped kids, and those two kids are giving him access to two groups he mentioned. Right. The, uh, the medical people that, that need to, he needs to interact with around his kids' disabilities and... The other people are mixed that they've taken these Right. And he, the people in his neighborhood that are seeing his engagement with his kids. So those were the, the two sort of the, the who groups, the audience groups that he hopes to see changes in. In the CMML video that we saw first, they showed pictures from all around the world, but at the end, they also mentioned an audience that they are trying to shift resources toward. What was that group? The 1040, the 1040 window. Because I, I just don't remember the exact numbers, but it, it's been in the past that 90% of the unreached people groups are in that area but only 10% of the missionary workforce or something like that. And they're shifting, right? They said 18% of the workforce is now in that area and 24% of their budget is going there. And so, so they have a who in mind. They have an audience in mind where they hope to see changes. And then the last question is the why. Why are we doing these, these things? And I heard from Tim to invite as many people as possible into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, and then to disciple those believers into a Christ-like life of service to others. Is that a fair summary of what I heard last night? So <clears throat> I've been thinking a lot about we're, we're passionate about missions. We have this sense of responsibility. It gives us this kind of urgency. But urgency is not busyness. Urgency is discernment in where can we invest. We have a limited amount of finances. We have a limited amount of human resources. Where, what will make a long-term difference? And it helps to think through those, those questions, right? Why do we do what we do? How are we going to do it? And then what ministries are going to affect changes in the who, the groups that we've that God has put into our circle of influence. <clears throat> Just going back to that part about the, the invitations made me think of all these invitations in the Gospels. Have you ever thought about the difference between an announcement and an invitation? So think about a wedding. You might see in the newspaper an announcement that so-and-so the parents of so-and-so would like to announce the engagement and wedding of their daughter to so-and-so. That's an announcement. Something's happening. It's different from you getting an invitation in the mail. We want you present at this wedding. And <clears throat> that's one of the things, like, you can say, we have a Christian hospital. That's an announcement. But it's still different than... Come and see. You be part of this event. You get to know Jesus Christ for yourself. And I just love how John's gospel starts out. The, the John's disciple, John the Baptist, go to Jesus. Hey, Rabbi, where are you staying? Come and see. And then right away, um, Philip goes to tell Nathaniel. And Nathaniel's like, oh, well, can anything good come from there? Come and see. And 
Jesus after his interaction with the woman in Samaria and she goes back to her village and what does she say? Come and see this person. <laughs> and Jesus at the at the feast, you know, are you thirsty? Come to me, come. He said, come to the banquet, you're invited. So <clears throat> making specific invitations so people know they're welcome, it's a little bit different than just an announcement that there's 930 services in this building and so forth. So all of that, listening to that last night and thinking about what I wanted to say, made me reframe this time a little bit. You you guys are, uh, I think you said, 60-year-old church in a mature neighborhood with a lot of experience sending missionaries. So we can talk about what does it mean as a sending assembly to do, to borrow a term from business, due diligence in this area of sending. That term initially just meant whatever was the requisite effort to, to start something the care that a reasonable person would take to not do harm, because it's possible to do harm in the things that we do. And another thing that came to my memory as I listened last night was once when I was in Africa, I was staying in the home of a missionary family that I had never met before. And when we were talking, the wife, it turned out, had grown up in Africa. She was an MK. And she had been to a boarding school And when she mentioned the name of the boarding school, I said, oh, my church, we're commended from Bethany Chapel in Wheaton. And for a small church, it supported an incredible number of missionaries. And that inculcated my interest in missions. And some of my earliest memories are those old slideshows from this one particular missionary who I knew had been associated with this boarding school. I mentioned his name. And I just saw all the color drain out of her face. She just blanched. She like started to tremble almost. And I learned that the missionary that we had supported and that we were proud of supporting had done trauma as this rigid director of this boarding school and caning the children and all sorts of things. And it just made me think we thought we were doing good sending this missionary but we hadn't really done due diligence in nobody ever went to visit them. Nobody talked to the people that were the benefactors of his ministry and so forth. So that was several generations ago. It was much more difficult to communicate perhaps than it is now. But anyway, it makes me want to talk to you not just about giving you a report. You supported me in Bolivia. Here's what I did. But When you listen to a presentation, like what we just heard from Egypt and so forth, what we heard last night, click off these things in your mind. Why are they doing what they're doing? Is it clear to them and to me? How are they doing it? What are their strategies? And the what are they doing is the easiest part. I translate the Bible. I run bookstores. I'm a pilot for mission aviation. I'm a doctor. So the what is the easy part. But those other things are the things that you, doing due diligence as senders, want to be thinking about. All right. Let's start. The what is the easy part. But let's start with the why. Okay. Why are we doing what we're doing? And that made me think, 
some of you may be curious, uh, may have seen, there's a, a famous TED Talk that you can find on Utah, YouTube called Start With The Why. It came out a long time ago. It's interesting, and it, it's a good exercise to run through with whatever your church or business organization is. But it made me think, what are some why statements in the, in the New Testament? Why did Jesus come? What comes to your mind? To seek and to save the lost. Good. Where does that come up? The Zacchaeus story. Good. Another one? They might have life and have it more abundantly. Uh-huh. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Good. Where does that come up? John 10. Mark, Mark 10, 45, to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Another one? Can somebody look up Luke 4, 43 and just read that verse for us in a loud voice? And somebody else, 1 John 3, 8. Luke 4, 43. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. I was sent for this purpose. This is why I came. A very clear statement from the beginning. And it's kind of why he didn't show up for clinic, right? That's what the disciples were saying. Hey, there's more sick people here to take care of. <clears throat> and First John 3, 8. Just to summarize, for this purpose, the Son of God was revealed that he might destroy the works of the devil. Yeah, so those are those are a few that I I don't think I have the John ten one about bringing life, but what we can see from these things is that they include both words, okay, to preach to announce the gospel of the kingdom of God, and actions to seek and to save, to serve others. When we talk about to save. Remember that that verb in Greek, soso, is also translated to heal or to deliver. So some, most of those are positive actions, but then there's that one negative one too, to destroy the works of the devil. Words and actions working together to show what the kingdom of God looks like. So, we already used Tim and Joy's ministry there as one case study. Um, and now we'll look at ours quickly in Bolivia as another case study for you to practice due diligence on. So what would be the first question you would want to ask me if I'm coming to you as a new missionary? And I say I work in Bolivia. Why? Start with the why. Good. <clears throat> so why are you guys in, in Bolivia? And... We would reply, well, it's because we're convinced that no one should live and die without hearing God's good news. So we believe he called us to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ in communities where he's least known. Now, there would be another story there about how we particularly our individual call to that place. But the why that we want to be keeping in our minds is this, okay? We don't want to see, we're, we're, we're happy with the good news that we have and we're troubled that there are others living and dying without knowing about that. 
So it mentions communities where he's least known. What's the next question then? Who? Before, before how? Who? Who are those communities? Exactly. Be specific. Because if we just say we want to bring the gospel to Bolivia, okay, well, that's 11 million people. How are we going to measure any change in that group? So let's try to narrow it down. Who are, who are these communities where people are living and dying where Christ is least known that you would like to see changed? And in our case, it was the Quechua people around the community of the rural town of Yawisla. That was for most of the time we were there. And then, as Phil mentioned, 10 years ago, we moved into a, this urban area of Potosi where there were two groups that have really very few Christians among them, the minors and then the professional class. And then the next question, how are you going to go about doing this? So, again, partnerships, okay? We don't want to see any more missionaries and pith helmets all by themselves in the bush. We're going to work in teams now, and we're going to partner even with groups that that might not be Christian, like partnering with the local government or something, if it helps us to get to that why that we're there. So we had two particular partnerships, one with our local assembly and one with a Christian nonprofit association. And part of partnering, especially with that Christian nonprofit, was um, helping them develop their board. Mary found a training program for the board members to learn how to manage, how to oversee, how to support the executive director, not micromanaging them, but giving them direction and accountability and things like that. He didn't have experience with that. But we just, two weeks, April, April 1st, Saturday, April 1st, we were in by Zoom on the annual, like the shareholders meeting, the legal requirement to meet, and it was just wonderful to see how this board, all Bolivian, and and the ministry was carrying forward. But those are all partnership things. And, like you heard from Tim, trying to do it all in the local language, so Spanish and then Quechua. And then we get to the part, well, what exactly did you do? I worked out of a family medicine clinic. Mary worked out of an English school. We taught in the assemblies. I taught Christian medical education that, I mean, continuing medical education for Bolivian doctors that put me in touch with a lot of health professionals. And then the last question is evaluating. Did you accomplish your purpose through those ministries? Which is another way of saying, did your what's? get you to your whys. And if they didn't, it's not like you're a failure, but it does mean you need to adjust going forward. So (laughs) we'll take a look. There's one more W, I suppose, that I could put in there, and that's the where. But this maybe is the least important one. It does give you some context. So I'll just show you, remind you where Bolivia is in the center of South America. We were down in the white part, which is in the mountainous western part of the country. There's also a lowland jungle part of the country. We were in the city that's dominated by this mountain where the Spaniards found all their silver. And I'll just go through these really quick. It's still being mined today. Those 
um, towers are the Roman Catholic Cathedral on the plaza, which is an important part of Bolivia's colonial history to understand. Got a little regional airport. And you can decide if you think the sunsets in Zambia are more beautiful than the sunsets <laughs> in Bolivia. <clears throat> I do bet that will beat you in the double rainbows that we get there. <clears throat> so I mentioned the Quechua people. These are some friends that we got to know well, some patients um, that I took care of. This is a, a family, the youngest baby there I delivered during COVID. That's why we all have those masks on. But all four of those children I delivered of the woman there from my time both out in the rural Yowisla area and then in the city. So this nonprofit that we partnered with, that we helped to found actually and and then trained up, it, it, the name of it is a Quechua expression, Ayinta Juana, and that comes from that wonderful verse in Acts 10 where Peter is explaining to Cornelius who Jesus was. And he said, But God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. And that little phrase, went around doing good, in Quechua comes out like this, Ayinta Juana. And it was the umbrella organization that we could partner with for these different ministries that we had. So one of them was at the clinic. And there I'm at the back and two people in front of me is Dr. Teresa Wanka. She was the director, is the director of the clinic. And we've been friends for over 20 years, she and, and her husband We've been working close together, and it's just been great to see how she's grown in in her gifting. And the the nurse that's in between the two of us was one of our nursing students out in this rural area, and just somebody that poured our life into over years and years, and now she's on the board of this ministry as well, um, has taken on a real interest in deaf people and has learned sign language. And you just start giving people confidence in their walk with the Lord and see how they grow is amazing. <clears throat> Here we are at an informal meeting. The tall woman next to me with the glasses is a young Bolivian doctor who I trained for the entire year before we left, saw all of our patients together. And Mary did the same thing with her English school. Uh, Amanda Deltzer, you can read about in your in your CMML handbook. Brenda, somebody from our local assembly. And then she recruited overseas teachers during COVID who taught by Zoom. And then this girl, Michelle, came down from Canada and did some three-month intensive courses while we were while we were there. And that come and see, that invitation, this couple, before they had any children, came to her English class. The husband was an architect. The wife was a lawyer. They wanted to learn English. And she just overheard them say something one day uh, that showed that they had an interest but weren't satisfied with what they knew of God and invited them. And then they reciprocated with an invitation to have a Bible study in her parents' home. And for several years, we met every Wednesday night, just read through the scriptures as their first time ever. They came to know the Lord and then made us godparents when they had their little baby. 
<clears throat> this was on our last day as we were leaving, now with two kids came to see us off. And this boy, I think I mentioned when I was here uh, in November, a long story about how he came to faith, but awoke with this desire to become a missionary and also went to Mary's English school because he wanted to join a team of international people and needed English as well. And there he is with his certificate from his first class of English. Our, our local assembly that we were involved with in the city there was called Ebron. This was the last night I was speaking to them uh, before we left Bolivia. They were waving goodbye there and also sending their greetings to any assemblies that I would be at. So please receive their greetings. <clears throat> but our closest co-workers came from that church. So these are people I want to just show you here. Betty was the wife of one of the elders, and she is now the, the chairperson of the board over that Ayinta Juana ministry. Lorenzo from that assembly was my partner in outreach to the minors. Brenda is one of the two full-time English teachers. And Lise, the doctor that I trained before I left. All from that one assembly. All people who wanted to serve and didn't really know how, but found this wonderful way to partner and, and they're carrying on now. There's Lorenzo and his wife Julia, who is one of Mary's dear friends. And there's Lorenzo and Julio over there on the right side. This is in their home, a minors, a Bible study that we had on Monday evenings with the minors that he was in contact with. So who, who, what, what the audience, these minors, what, what were we doing? We started out with some health fairs for them, um, visiting inside the mines, then getting into occupational health and safety was a felt need with them to reduce accidents. And I'll just go real quick through. I loved going inside the mines there. This is Lorenzo. He would take me to where he was actively working up and down these shafts. I also loved coming out of the tunnels <laughs> into the daylight again. But just a very needy group was still making these blood sacrifices to this idol of the devil, hoping that he'll drink animals' blood instead of their blood and so forth. So we have this new role now on, on the health ministries team. And I'm thinking through these same questions now as I'm supporting medical ministries around the world, doing this due diligence with them while caring for our family members, our adult kids and grandkids, and my mother in Wheaton, Illinois. So I have five more minutes. <clears throat> This was what I was originally going to talk on, future directions and medical missions. But I thought it was worthwhile to, to dovetail with what we heard from Tim last night and help you in your future role, too, as senders. The water that you see is the Sea of Galilee. Mary and I were there in January, first time ever to visit Bolivia. I mean, Israel. <laughs> And we're looking at the site on the hillside where they think the Sermon on the Mount happened. And later that day, we went to the Church of the Beatitudes on that hillside that you were just looking at. And all around, you see the Beatitudes there. And so I just have reproduced for you here the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. 
It said, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on that mountainside and sat down and he began to teach. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So the question, it starts out when Jesus saw the crowd. Where did those crowds come from? Why were there crowds around Jesus? And because of time, I'll make it a rhetorical question. Just back up two verses. Read the last two verses of chapter 4. News about Jesus spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, seizures, paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds came from all those places. And he went up on the mountain, and he sat down, and he talked to them. So, this interaction. Now, you can remember, I'm sure you've heard, all those unhelpful arguments in the past, these dualistic questions. Which is more important, the body or the soul? Health care or evangelism? My soul or, or spirit? Medical work or, or preaching? We, we've heard all those things. What I see here in Jesus' ministry, just like we said before, words and actions, they go together. We don't separate them. Jesus shows what it looks like when God's will is done on earth as it is on heaven. People are healed. People are restored. And then he explains how you can come into relationship with God. They always go together. I have this interesting book about the history of how mission work started in Bolivia. And this is from 111 years ago, the very first gospel meetings in a Quechua town called San Pedro de Buenavista were being conducted in a large room which opened on the main street. And this description says, it's Sunday, the hour for service has arrived, the seats are arranged, the preacher and organist are ready, where's the congregation? It took brave people to come in those days. Well, we start singing, a little crowd gathers, and soon a few people are brave enough to come inside. Who are they? Only men in the beginning, but all people who had received medical help. That one healed of pneumonia. That one saved from insanity. This other man healed of a broken nose and an injured eye. That one over there, the father of an only child, snatched from the jaws of death. That's a quote from this book, Ripening Fruit, The History of the Bolivian Indian Mission. But that same integration, words and deeds going together to start the church. All right, I'm going to just kind of skip along through these things. These are questions of doing due diligence with people's work. In the past, these were mission hospitals, but I just love your description in here of Loloma about how it's transferred now. There's still missionaries who work there, but it's now run by the government and they pay the salaries. Should you just do a charity work? Or in the case of our clinic, we tried to run it on a business model and it's employing. All those people you saw in the picture are earning their salaries there. Should we... Keep the old things running. Um, we started to talk about that last night with Tim. HCJB had a huge hospital in Quito, Ecuador. They decided it had run its course. They turned it over, and they started doing other things. Kajabi Hospital, you may have heard, a big 100-year-old hospital in Kenya. 
beautiful 300-bed tertiary care facility. When it started 100 years ago, it was in an unreached group. Now it, all the towns around it have been reached and have churches. But it's no longer nimble, agile. You can't pick it up and move it to northern Kenya where there's Somalis and things like that. I always enjoy doing direct patient care. But one of my best friends is working in a country in northeast Africa, the Horn of Africa, that they just refer to as Wakanda for security reasons. And he's invited by the government to teach in their medical school. They've given him a, a visa to come in there. He doesn't do patient care, but he has this open door. Medical Education International is part of Christian Medical and Dental Association. They do that in over 60 countries. Open doors for medical education. So, what are healthcare people trying to do? Restore shalom to people. Shalom with God, shalom with others, shalom within themselves, their unhealthy bodies. <clears throat> and if you remember what we talked, what I talked about last November about the story of the woman in Mark 5, is a beautiful illustration. When we were in Israel, we saw this picture of that event, reaching through the crowds to touch the robe of Jesus. If I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. And she was. And she was restored in all those directions. With God, Jesus says to him, go in peace, go in shalom. Your suffering is over. And with the community, remember the part about stopping everything and having her tell her story. Healing witnesses to God's unconditional love for all people. It's a signpost to the kingdom. It can't just be an announcement. It needs to be an invitation as well. Meeting them at their point of need, bringing them to faith, discipling them, and then equipping them to reach and disciple others. And I just loved hearing that part, Tim, about how the people you prepared are doing that on their own initiative now in that area. The why doesn't change. The how needs to adapt. <clears throat> um, and, and, and to sum up, as we hear these, these other people that we're going to hear interviews, keep these questions in your mind. Is there clarity on the why? Is there prayerful consideration of the who? Is there a specific group that we're going to try to reach that we'll be able to evaluate? Are there changes happening? And we saw that in the, the story of the garbage village, right? The before and after. You saw one area and the transformation. And then is there creativity? Are we still applying 19th century models to 21st century realities, or can we adapt to new things? And as you support your missionaries, don't just send the funds. Help them think through those questions. That's what we need. And go visit them. That's important, too. So I'll, <clears throat> I'll stop here by going back to the Beatitudes and just remembering we work out of our identity that Jesus said. You are the blessed. That's your identity. You're already there. You can take a deep breath. You don't have to earn your salvation anymore. And once you realize your blessing, then you have this wonderful invitation to join God in being his partners in blessing other families to the ends of the earth so everybody gets to hear. Shall I give thanks for the food? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be gathered in this 
place and consider again your old promise to Abraham that through the people you would call into existence, through him and through Sarah, through the people who would bear your name, you would bless all the families of the earth, all the tribes, clans, peoples, languages, and nations. The gospel in advance that you announced to Abraham. And Lord, we're here because that's what we want. We want to make the name of Jesus even more famous than it already is. And I thank you for the many connections that Northern Hills Bible Chapel has around the world. I thank you for their engagement with so many people. And we pray as decisions are made about the future of how Northern Hills can be even more strategic in seeing the gospel come to people who are still living and dying without the knowledge of it. Now we thank you that even as you've nourished us spiritually, There's wonderful things prepared that we can enjoy together. Thank you that even uh, a meeting like this in a church hall is an illustration, an intimation, an anticipation of the banquet that we'll eat with you and many other redeemed from around the world in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.